The following podcast is a Dear Media production. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Aha! I had this other passion of acting and performing and storytelling, and I was directing stuff in high school. Also felt like I was really good at that and had a sort of like quality about me, if you will. I had a lot of people in my life be like, oh, you should, you could totally be an actor. It also became kind of my ticket out of Atlanta. So I went to like a film acting camp in LA, New York Film Academy for a summer in high school, and it exposed me to Los Angeles. I made a bunch of friends, like met Nepo babies for the first time as we've come to love and know them and realized how much bigger the world was. This episode with Tommy Dorfman blew my mind. The vulnerability in this episode is out of control. I really felt like I got a unique perspective of what it was like for Tommy to grow up. She revealed in an interview that she had been privately identifying and living as a woman for almost a year. She chose to retain her birth name of Tommy, which she feels very connected to. And in this episode, you'll really see the behind the scenes of what she's been through. She was horribly bullied when she was young, and it was really interesting to see through her eyes how it affected her. She also is a highly accomplished actress, writer, photographer, and director. And this interview is fascinating. I actually like loved it out of all the interviews we did in New York. This was my favorite. I think Tommy is living life on her own terms. And I think it's really cool to see the evolution of it all. On that note, let's welcome Tommy Dorfman to the Him and Her show. This is the Skinny Confidential, Him and Her. Talk to us about your childhood. You told me you grew up in Georgia. Yeah, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm the youngest of five siblings. Whoa. Two of which are half siblings, one's adopted. So kind of like a melting pot family dynamic, if you will. There's a 14-year age gap between me and my eldest brother. My parents worked in the car industry up until very recently. They both retired from that. And yeah, I grew up around like football, you know, go dogs, Georgia football. My dad played. I grew up, you know, in the suburbs briefly. And then we moved into Midtown. And I was kind of, yeah, I was a weird kid. I was like a trans kid in the early 90s. My parents, while super liberal to an extent, you know, as liberal as you can be in the South at a certain time period, right? Like very progressive and like growth mindset people and entrepreneurial and well-traveled enough that they understood that like the lived experience of Georgia and Alabama and like, you know, New Hampshire, where my mom is from in Ohio, like was not the, I would say the blueprint for the rest of the world. So they were really supportive of me expressing myself in a myriad of ways growing up. And so, you know, I wore a lot of girls clothes and expressed a really feminine side as a kid that while it was celebrated, I guess, at home in a lot of ways. It wasn't necessarily understood. So there wasn't language to support that. My parents didn't have resources. Media was in a completely different landscape. Queer representation was not super accessible beyond like will and grace or terrible portrayals of queer people and you know trans people. So 
I think my parents just did the best of what they had, you know, like they really just tried to support me as a kid. And I was an artsy kid. I was a ballet dancer my whole childhood. I was like into Bikram yoga. I was doing like musical theater, which segued into acting, directing as a kid, making little short, weird videos, just was kind of like all over the place with my interests, like super undiagnosed ADHD, which I've recently been diagnosed and and starting to like find ways to treat. But I think with expressing myself in a way that society didn't know how to handle as a kid, I was met with a lot of conflict and a lot of bullying and a lot of like things that could, I think, have dampened my individuality. And certainly it like put a filter on that. And like I learned how to contain parts of myself for safety, but it also gave me a certain amount of like tough skin and I guess like street smarts to be a chameleon in my life. And like on one hand, that can be a great resource. And on the other hand, like I've had to relearn how to like who I am and who I want to be in the world and not feel like I need to perform or present for people for safety or for like acceptance. So it was an interesting childhood for sure. I mean, all of my siblings are like cis and straight, married kids, divorced kids, like living in Atlanta still to this day. And I was always, you know, black sheep, if you will, of the family. How did you process bullying at a young age? I've had to rely as an adult on the lived realities of other people in my life. Trauma for me, my response is like, I don't remember. There are like gaps in my memory from childhood from abuse, whether it's, you know, verbal, emotional abuse at school or as I got into my like mid-teens at early, you know, early adulthood, I uh, took to drugs and alcohol to kind of cope with the outside world and found myself in a lot of other situations, sexual abuse, other things. So I, I, I kind of have a very blotchy memory of childhood and I've had to rediscover in my 20s and now I'm in my early 30s how I handled situations. And so from what I understand, I and I have like weird little letters that I had written myself or like mantras that I'd written myself as a kid. Just for a strange thing to do now that you think about it. But I guess if you're like desperate for help or comfort or safety like you you look to different tools to find that but I'm pretty I was I was like a get back up kind of kid I was like a fall down push me down I'm gonna get back up and where do you think that comes from I think it's just like an innate rule breaking kind of fuck the patriarchy like spirit that I have I don't know how else. I mean fuck the patriarchy like I feel like I sound like a bumper sticker right now and that's not <laughs> the intention <laughs> but I just think I, I I kind of I became okay really early on that like I saw the world differently than other people around me and I could like I said kind of adjust myself accordingly and then you know puberty hits and like everyone's kind of going through weird shit and so that's when I stopped presenting in more feminine ways in my childhood. Cause I just honestly, like I remember the one thing I do remember is just being over it. Like I was over people making fun of me. I was over getting threatened. I was over getting like hit. I was over coming home. And from what I can remember, like sobbing at the dining table with my family, we always ate family dinner together. Like we're super, super tight knit and then rinsing and repeating. And I had to transfer schools in third grade as a result so this of, is early. This so is this early. is early adolescence, right? And then I went to like a more progressive school in Atlanta called Paideia. 
which preached a lot of things, but didn't necessarily practice that in the DNA, which is fine. But it was definitely a safer space for me to like explore myself and and be myself. And it it made being gay really easy. Honestly, like that wasn't a problem in high school. Like when I kind of came out at 14 as like a gay boy. But at that point, I had already like swallowed so much of my trans identity and like the girl in me, if you will. And like I went through like a very like nasty kind of straight boy period in middle school where I was like had like a bunch of girlfriends and like was having sex at a really young age and like smoking. And you, you were having sex with with women, girls. With yeah, girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was like in my early teens. And then when I was 14, I started dating guys. And I think I just, you know, I dealt with it in by by keeping myself really busy, which did, is probably did you why feel, I'm did you still feel so busy. compelled to start having sex with women to kind of rebel against what people either the way people were bullying you or to prove people like I what? I, I really being the youngest child, I really looked up to my siblings, especially like my brother who's closest in age to me. And he was he sort of was an early developed kid. And so I thought there was kind of like a status quo I had to hit or a quota, if you will. So I felt like it gave me a certain amount of like protection to have like girlfriends and like have these like experiences at a really young age. And I was always watching like really mature television and film and like reading books that were well beyond what I should have been reading as a fifth grader and a sixth grader. And the internet was, you know, flourishing at that time for millennials like myself. And we had access to things that like even my older siblings didn't have access to in high school. How old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 31. Okay. So yeah. So we're about five years older than you. Okay. So 87. Yeah. 87. My brothers. Yeah. We, I always say we're on the cusp where like Lauren and I didn't get the full like iPhone experience until we got out of college. Like it was like, I think it came out, like we were the group that when you signed up for Facebook, you could only use it if you were, had a college email address right and like everyone brought out a full digital camera and then uploaded the entire album that night the night of but so like we're oh on, yeah no we're no, on the no, cusp. no i have i recently was going through my facebook download because i deleted my facebook when my first tv show came out that ended up being really successful so i was like oh fuck no like people cannot see these photos and it's crazy that we would post like hundreds of photos at a time yeah but what and I'm, now we've post one and it has to be like maybe the like one. once a week <laughs> <laughs> uh, i want to know it, you looking back as an adult now yeah. and seeing all of these young kids bullying you why do you think that that happened do you think it's because that they were ingrained with that with, from their parents do you think people are just scared of seeing something different? When you reflect as an adult and look back at mm-hmm. all those people, why do you think that they were bullying? I think people are really afraid of the unknown. And like the best way for me to speak about transphobia especially is just to say that like to be trans and like to transition in a public way and like own this part of yourself and to choose to embark on that journey because it's not a choice to be trans, but like there are things that we can do do to affirm our identity, whether it's medical or spiritual, so many different ways, right? Coming out in, in and of itself is stepping into that part of your identity. That kind of autonomy and like self-assuredness and clarity is so scary to people on like I, a global level. Uh, it's, and I It's think- also interesting though, because even though you're talking about being bullied, to me, there's a confidence that you were 
that you were yourself no matter what people yeah. thought. So that's it's interesting. It's it, you don't sound like you were insecure about who you were. You sound super confident and self-assured and maybe that was something that that the ki- the kids were insecure about if that makes sense. Oh, totally. I think pe- and I think that's kind of what I mean about this like practicing autonomy is in direct conflict with humanity who just does like what their parents did and what their dad's dad did, right? Like we inherit our DNA and we inherit circumstance, right? And so I think for me to go against the grain so I guess profoundly at that time was really challenging for people. It was challenging for my peers. It was challenging for my siblings at times. I'm sure I know it was challenging for my parents only because they were scared for me. There was a big fear around like my safety from a really young age. Well, especially we have young kids and to think like of our kid coming home and crying at the table and being bullied. Like I don't know how I don't know if I'd be able to contain myself. So I think like to your parents' credit, that must have been hard. Very hard. Yeah. They're they have a really beautiful parenting style that I will not fully adopt, but take pieces of as we all probably have from our families. <laughs> but they really gave me the room to make decisions for myself, probably younger than I maybe should have. But by nature of that, I developed like a sense of self-assuredness and confidence, which has definitely propelled me in my career as an adult. This like kind of dumb faith that I can just do whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also liberating. No fear of failure. I mean, I fail all the time. And as my public facing stature has grown, my fear of failure has seeped in a little bit more. It's like if you like learned how to ski when you're a kid, you can just bomb down the mountain as a kid, but then you get older and you're like, oh wait, my knees kind of hurt. Oh, this is steep. I'm taller now. Like this looks steeper as I've climbed, trudged sort of up the mountain of Hollywood or whatever the fuck, I've I've developed new fears that I never had before. I mean, I had, I was just like dead set on being an actor and not just being an actor, but like being a famous actor and like building a life for myself and directing and making television shows. Like I was like, I had a really clear and then working in fact, like I, and I was like, I can do all these things. Like there's no, there's no problem. And I think a lot of that stems from one, having entrepreneurial parents who understood what it meant to like try things out and like fall on your face and get back up. And two, developing thick skin from like having to combat, ignore, you know, I, I morphed into a lot of different versions of myself to protect myself. No doubt. What does that mean when you say that? You've said that I a mean, couple of like, times. You said you've been a chameleon. What does that like? Give us an example. Yeah, I would. I mean, I literally only wore girls clothes up until I was 11. And I don't know exactly what happened but what i do know is i lit those clothes on fire in my driveway what age did you start wearing women's clothes like when did as you start? soon as i started dressing myself okay what, and I, what always, age is that I, I don't i have a three-year-old what age I, is like that? three four no i was very very clear i was like huh and i and they'd be like what do you want to be when you grow up i'd be like i'm a princess like i'm gonna be a princess so you'd always you'd i want to be a girl girls clothes always yeah no and i just loved loved you know, things that we would associate with girl, you know, like I loved Barbie and like all of the kind of like tropey queer narratives. And you don't you don't know why you burned your clothes at 11. I know that I, I know that I was fucking sick of being made fun of. And I was like sick of people asking me questions about what I was wearing and picking on me. And I was like, I was ready for a reinvention. I, and at the <laughs> time, because so I have two younger siblings, okay. two younger sisters, actually. And as an older brother, like I was very protective of them. One's nine years younger than me. One's three years mm-hmm. younger than me. 
you had older brothers. Oh, he was so protective. And so, and one of them, like when they see kids bullying you, how does that manifest with them? I mean, someone punched me with a school book from what I remember, like hit me with their backpack and the textbook, like cut my eye when I was in kindergarten. My brother was the only overlap we had at a school was sort of was kindergarten and he was in fifth grade about to go into sixth grade, which at that time was middle school in Georgia in our public school system. And I don't know exactly what happened, but I know that kid got fucked up for sure. Okay. So your brothers were protective, very protective, worried for me. And so when I told my brother, I was like, so this is where we rewrite history. I thought my brother had done that. And I had this resentment towards my brother for lighting my clothes on fire. And he was like, no, you like, I think you were the one who did that. And you, you like, and I think in my vision of it, it's like, it was like a great mountain of clothes. And it like, it was like probably like a couple skirts or whatever. But I had this like idea that I could just rid myself of that version of myself and I could just reintroduce myself. And people do this. Like I have middle school age nieces, nephews, kids in my family who I've watched take on completely different personalities to assimilate. And so I think that's what I mean by chameleon. I just was like, and he he and his friends, his like bros, stoner friends took me to Dillard's or like Bloomingdale's or something like at um I think we were at Lenox Mall, maybe Perimeter Mall in Georgia, and kind of like bought me this whole new wardrobe. Like went to PacSun, like borrowed my brother's clothes, and like the next like literally, and I had a nanny at the time because my parents worked so much. Heather and I asked her about this because as I was transitioning, I was trying to understand like what the fuck happened. Like when did I know? She was like honestly like I saw you on a Friday and you were like the sweetest, loveliest, coolest kid. And on Monday, you were like the meanest boy teenager I'd ever met in my life. What, what's interesting <laughs> to me is that Amanda Bynes was was in a movie where they dressed her like a Oh, boy. she's the man. She's the man. Yeah, based and off she of says, um, Shakespeare play. She said that that when she saw herself as a boy, it it did something to her head. She wasn't used to seeing herself as a boy. It, interesting. It, it, she said that there was a, a sort of like a... A, a switch that went off mm-hmm. that I mean she's obviously had a very tough time with her addiction something happened when she saw herself like that so the reason I'm asking is when you you see yourself as a girl but then your brothers take you to pack sun they're dressed you dress up as a boy when you are looking in the mirror and you see yourself as a boy but you feel you're a girl was there did that do something to your psyche I think it at that point I I had already like begun whatever subconscious process of like swallowing down whatever trans identity feelings I had. And I started, I, I, I was quick to affirm my self-worth through the lens of the people around me and the response to me assimilating into society and what was expected of like a boy was very positive. So you basically were living so your I life had, like, to make other people comfortable. To, yeah, I had girls. I mean, that's kind of yeah what queer people do in so many ways until we can't do it any longer. Yeah, completely. Made my life easier, made me more comfortable. I had girls flirting with me. I was flirting. You know, I, had a, I started to become really popular in a way that I hadn't totally been before. And I was kind of, you know, I was like a lonely, isolated. And I spent, I still would spend a lot of time alone because I like needed my alone time. You know, even dancing ballet was is, is a very binary sport in art like it's very like a lot of the boys in ballet are straight like they're just like super like masculine like machismo kind of guys and the girls are you know and and all the pas de deux are male female I mean things are changing but even when I was in like strict ballet world 
you know, they would make me take my nail polish off. Like I was only in class with boys. So even there, I was like assimilating into a certain type of like masculine performance. And then I was getting rewarded for that. I was getting better parts. I was getting more attention. I was commanding more space. I'm really happy you came on the show. And we're having this discussion because I think a lot of people have a really tough time understanding and having this conversation. A lot of straight people feel very scared. Like what, what sure. do you ask? What do you not ask? Yeah. And I think it gets very charged up and people get very angry. And I think like a lot of this, so I, my, I remember at a very young age going to a gay wedding because my aunt was gay, right? And, oh, cool. and so for me, like I grew up with this, like, okay, that's my aunt. And this where did is, you grow up? San Diego. Okay, great. And she lived in an area called Hillcrest, which is a prominently gay yeah. area. Do you know Kelly Connor? Sounds, yeah. yeah, 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 we do. Sorry, one of my friends. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Mark she, Guducci, Kelly Connor. Yeah. Mark Guducci is like my. Yeah. Mark, I lived at Mark Guducci's house. Sorry, for not a to turn No, we, like, we could cut this out. Yeah. I lived with him for a year. Yeah. Keep it in. My mom was best friends with his mom. I love Mark. Mark works at Vogue now, really fabulous he's editor. So crazy. Like, what he's Was editor in Chief of Garage magazine for a long time. And also Taylor and Gino. Does that name ring a bell? I don't know. Too. So Taylor knew, and Kelly and I know each other because I work with Tom Brown where she works now. Okay, and she used to work at Vogue. She used to work at Vogue. We have to take a picture and send it to Mark. We'll send it. Yeah, yeah, Tom Brown's dressing me for the ABT gala. Right. Bring it back to ballet. I think it's next week or something. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, we could totally, we need to text Oh Mark. my God, we have so, to text him. I guess like what I'm saying is I think a lot of people, and I saw this big like a lot of press going around when JVN went on Dax Shepard's show and it, yeah. like, <laughs> right, and, like, I think like that didn't, yeah. like, that was didn't go well. Or maybe it did go well. But I think that the thing is, is, I think a lot of people are scared to have the conversation, scared to try and understand the perspective. Mm. I think we're scared of asking the wrong question or stepping in the yeah. wrong direction. And I think that's part of the problem because for me and why I brought up the, the wedding that I went to, it was when I when I got an understanding in a context, it opened up my entire world. I was like, okay, I get it. Like, I, yeah. I, I understood it. And I think a lot of this stuff and bullying and anger and hatred, it comes from a, a ignorance, right? Totally. A lack of understanding. But I think with the way that the world is shaped right now, people are more scared about asking the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing than actually getting to an understanding. So when when you're when you're talking about these issues to people, mm -hmm. what is something that you wish people would look at or understand that maybe gets lost in the in the anger? I wish from a lack that of people understanding? would just listen. I think often these conversations get heated. Let, to be clear, like if we're speaking about like not violent situations, right? Like people who are really trying to understand one another in some capacity showing up like Dax, JVN, if you will. That was more complex, I think, because they were really debating politics and policies and they were debating children and children. And there was maybe more research could have been done on Dax's part before having a trans person. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to have that conversation, be ready to have that conversation. I think for me, I'm not a super combative person. And... I vulnerability is like the key to compassion for me. And that's the key to like liberation and acceptance and understanding one another. So as you said, it's like you saw this example, right? Well, you um, know, and JVN's been on this show. And I think yeah. the 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 difference sometimes is I felt in that conversation when I was talking to him, it's like it was almost like I'm gonna correct you and educate you, which yeah. is okay. But it made it 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 immediately made it harder for me and I think for us to get into the to like to get into the understanding because I felt either insecure asking the question or I felt like I was going right. to say the wrong thing. And I, it's like I'm not trying to offend. It's literally trying to present the information so that people can have right. a different perspective. Yeah. I mean, I commend them for even 
having that conversation because I can't imagine what that would have felt like in that moment. It's so complicated to be on the receiving end and you're literally in the hot seat, right? So it's just like the stakes are raised. But to answer your question, I would say listening. So key. I would say generally, for whatever reason, people want to... Tips to talk to trans people. Um, <laughs> people really want to like ask medical questions, which is just so inappropriate. Sure. Like you, you would never ask cis straight people questions about their body in that way. Like it's just not okay. But I think there's a lot of dehumanization that happens with the trans community. Really like slowing down in these conversations and showing up with a willingness and an understanding that like you might not be right. You know? I, I think that long form content like like this is really helpful because it gives yeah. context. I mean, I'm here because I know that your audience is not my audience, right? In so many well, ways. They might be. There's definitely overlap. You'd be surprised. No, 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 no. There's definitely overlap, but you also reach a different demographic than I reach in my algorithm, if you will, right? And okay. it's important for me to show up to these spaces because we have a lot. I mean, we have mutual friends. Like we could go have dinner after this. Like we could go on a trip and probably like have a fucking great time. (laughs) But what I'm getting at is like there, you know, my cousin was the bachelorette, for example, her followers skew in a different direction politically than mine do. And so just by nature of her being on a show that is viewed by a different type of person, right? So I think it's exciting for me to be a trans person coming into this space with people who are like calm and chill and like, you know, open and and compassionate and loving and caring as I seem you seem to be because it offers an opportunity for us to have a conversation that's facilitated and then offered to the public so that there can be vulnerability and there can be compassion. There can be a different type of understanding. I mean, this is why I work in entertainment at the end of the day, because like I know firsthand how seeing versions of myself on screen, off screen, in books, how like access to different types of stories helped me better understand myself and has helped me better understand the world around me. When we moved to Texas, one of the things we committed to was just sleep better. In LA, we just had a chaotic sleep schedule. It was all over the place. And we just were lethargic, feeling like shit, just not doing well. So we implemented sleep. Now we're performing better. Our bodies have gotten more in shape. Our companies have gotten stronger. Our marriage has gotten better. We're able to parent our kids. And one of the tools that we've used to completely change our sleep is a sleep pack from a company called Momentus. Many of you guys may have remembered when we had Jeff, the founder of Momentus, on this show talking about their products. What we love about Momentus supplements is they are the highest quality supplements on the market. They're third-party tested, which means you know you can trust everything that's on the label. Over 175 college and professional sports teams use their products. When you're looking for high-quality supplements and products and you're not quite sure where to look, look no further. Momentus has you covered. But like I said, one of our favorite products from Momentus is their sleep packs. They have these incredible sleep packs that come in individual packets that include magnesium, L3 and 8. As you guys know, many people are deficient in magnesium. You definitely need this. Apigenin and L-theanine. This stuff puts you right to sleep and you're going to sleep like a baby all night. They have so many other incredible supplements. We've talked about them before. Some of our favorites are their collagen peptides, their whey protein, which I think is one of the best on the market. And like I said, this sleep pack, you got to check them out. So if you want to sleep better, perform better, all of the above, visit livemomentous.com slash skinny and use code skinny at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. That's livemomentous.com slash skinny. Use code skinny for 15% off your first order. Momentous.com slash skinny.
Who doesn't want more energy, a little appetite suppressant, and focus? Let me introduce you to Ketone IQ. I actually reached out to the brand and asked if they would send me like a huge case, and they did, and it's good. If you want brain fuel that's like clean energy boost without sugar or caffeine, this is perfect. So essentially what it is, is it's like a shot. It comes in like a little shot situation. I like to take two shots before I work out or when I sit down to record a podcast because I know the kind of energy that I'm going to get. I also notice that I don't get that hungry when I'm on it. So for me, it's a great way to just like do like a little fast during the day. Anyways, it's called Ketone IQ. It's going viral all over the internet. Their brand's name is HVMN, which stands for Health Via Modern Nutrition. And they're not a keto diet product, okay? So you should know that. It's a shot. Ketone IQ, they sell out all the time. (laughs) Very, very popular. You can save 30% off your first subscription order of Ketone IQ at hvmn.com slash skinny. I personally am going to use my own code because I love the energy that it gives me and the clarity that it gives me when it comes to thinking and podcasting. That's hvmn.com slash skinny. I was so tired of my hair shedding. It happened especially after I gave birth to Zaza. So I took matters into my own hands and I really feel like I've rehabilitated my hair. The first thing I did was I started microneedling my scalp. And then recently I've been using like a high frequency wand on like around the hairline and it works really well. I also am all about a good hair serum and some massage And then lastly, I am supplementing. And I am supplementing with Nutrafol. I'm sure you've seen Nutrafol everywhere. It's so popular. People are obsessed with it. It is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement. And the thing about it, and I think why everyone is so into it, is because it's clinically shown to improve visible thickness and strength. So personally, what I notice from taking it every single day is that there's no shedding anymore. I just also noticed since going brunette and doing all these things that my hair is thicker, healthier, stronger than it ever has been in my life. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter promo code SKINNYHAIR. Find out why over 4,000 healthcare professionals recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code skinny hair. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code skinny hair. What stories and what things did you see when you were little that helped you? None. I'm, I'm kidding. I mean, but genuinely, like for like for trans stuff, none. Like so there was when nothing. you said you're reading all these like crazy books, like there was nothing that you found in any of I, them. Where yes, like- no. So I started reading like Augustine Burroughs and David Sedaris books when I was younger than I probably should have been, for example, or even watching Thirteen. Weirdly, like that Evan Rachel Wood movie. Yeah, as like a young that addict, movie's heavy. It's heavy, but I felt like seen for the first time. Like that was my euphoria. You know, I was like, right, there are. I'm not a total crazy person if I'm like doing the amount of drugs I'm doing and partying in this way. And it's not to to condone that or like approve that. It's just to say that like I'm not alone in like the struggle. One thing I won't ever understand and maybe I need to like, maybe I need to be educated on this. I don't understand 
why anyone cares what someone else does. For instance, by the way, same. <laughs> I, I really, it's that, that's always since I was little. I've always, I like when you say that someone made you take your nail polish off, like I look at a lens through that and I'm like, why? It doesn't affect anyone of you wearing nail polish. It's you expressing who you are. Like, I don't, it doesn't affect me if you wear nail polish. Yeah. That's where it's, I, I kind of, I almost would want to interview someone. That is you like, should. like like someone who is like, you can't wear nail polish or you have to dress like this. I don't understand why people get so effective. It doesn't affect them. Yeah. They, they read a lot of headlines and they think a lot of things, especially that are happening politically, are going to have a direct effect on their life or their family. Mm -hmm. And that's where people dig in. We're talking about such a small percentage of the population. Sure, but yeah. I guess like what we try to do, and thank you for recognizing this and coming in here, is like, I like the idea, like I, as a content creator, I feel the easiest way to grow faster and build an audience is to pander to an echo chamber and give them the same kind of thing over and over and continue to reinforce the same kind of message. And I think a lot of people left, right, are really good at doing that. Like they yeah. find a cause, they dig in and they become that person. I think it is much more challenging and builds much greater character to pivot and go different ways and share different perspectives. For example, like, we will have somebody on that maybe is, you know, believes something completely this way one week and the audience will get fired up or mm -hmm. half the audience. And then the next week we'll have somebody that's completely counter and they'll get upset. I'm like, listen, the idea is to stretch your mind yeah. and, and have you look at different perspectives so that you can understand a greater worldview. Does that make I, sense? No, that, I mean, that's also how I try to meet bigotry as much as possible, which is not, this is to be clear, not meeting bigotry, but I just to go back to the, the initial question that, I think opened this portal of conversation up, if you will, around just like engaging with people that are different than you. I mean, you could really boil it down to that is exposing yourself to different narratives and different ways of living and different lived experiences, right? Because there's so much animosity that comes out of fear and there's so much violence that comes out of fear, fear of the unknown, fear of someone doing something differently with their lives, fear of like a boy wearing nail polish, like fear of so many things and the only way to kind of work through that is to be willing to show up as either talent or content creator writer filmmaker what have you or as viewer what consumer conversations are you having with trans children or your, your friends who are trans that you wish that the general population would know i mean i I'm not, I'm not having conversations, I guess, so directly with trans kids, but I do know some trans kids who are really cool. I think understanding, I think to your point, I, I think it's, I think this, like having conversations of like, just leave people alone. Like this has nothing to do with you, right? But I think so often identities are wrapped up in institutions, they're wrapped up in community, they're wrapped up in God, but your version of God, not my, like I believe in God, it's just probably a different God than, you know, Ron DeSantis' God, we have different gods. Like we don't, we don't pray to the same altar, if you will. I try to provide resources to experts. That's kind of my go-to. So if I'm in a situation in which a parent of a trans kid or a trans kid, like whoever it is, I can go through my DM requests and I can get an overall theme without engaging with people directly because there's just safety issues there. And I can offer different supports if necessary, right? Whether that's Trevor Project, if so dire, or different, you know, queer accepting community centers or the California Center. Or, I mean, I like to give literature to 
adults especially. So I'll be like, oh, you should read Kate Bornstein's work. She, Kate uses she, they pronouns, who has many, it has had many different versions of a book about gender fluidity as the times have changed and has continued to revise this. Or there's a book called A Girlhood that is a letter, a memoir, a letter from a mother to her transgender daughter who's now grown up kind of in like this Ta-Nehisi Coates way. They had to flee Florida because the community turned on them when her kid came out as trans in this like sort of like liberal blue community. They had to, This was years ago prior to everything that we're dealing with now. And they moved to the north to keep their child safe, right? But this book really is a beautiful telling of like the lived experience of this from an ally's perspective. And this is where allyship, I think, is so important and so key. It's like where it's why we have to show up for those who are more disenfranchised than us. That's why we have to you know, learn different ways to advocate for our community members, our friends, our family who are maybe different than ourselves. And I think resourcing yourself with knowledge and different you know, types of podcasts, things like that, is really the best way to expand your mind and also have like foundational key points that you can look at and use when you are perhaps in direct conflict with a transphobic person or a xenophobic person or you know an anti-Semitic person, what have you. Like you can do a racist person. Like you can equip yourself with a comfortable amount, I think, of knowledge and challenge yourself so that you can facilitate conversations or direct people to resources. Because, I mean, that's the beauty of the internet too, right? Like there are just so many different types of people online and like sharing stories and content creators that there's like, there's an avenue. And that this is this is stuff I've talked to with like younger queer family members of mine where I'm like, look, this creator is really cool. And like, they're a non-binary person from Texas who is now a poet. And like, you know what I mean? Like there's different ways to steer friends and family in that direction. And I think when I... I come into contact with the youth, if you will. I mean, statistics are pretty clear. Like Gen Z is very fluid. Like the the reality, it's five times more queer than that of millennials. And, and do you, or do five, you, it's so, I think two times of millennials, five times out of boomers. So all that to say, like that's really the stat, or do you think that is more people now just being comfortable? Like what I'm saying is, do you think that maybe no, I don't think there are more queer and trans people. I just think more queer and trans people are out, are comfortable. That's what yeah. I'm asking you. So like, it's or like not even coming out. A younger person in my family that's came, cool. that's, didn't even come out that. to yeah, me, just started you, talking about yeah. Like, their like romantic partner who's well, non-binary. Coming out isn't this like is a why, Broadway like, show. Like, no. It's just kind of like this is what it is. Yeah, yeah these I, kids that's don't. Cool. But that's the that's question: cool. is like has has the world and has the people really changed, or is it now people are just feeling that they're in an environment where it doesn't have to be as big of an issue as it was maybe what in our there parents' is, generation. Is there's less shame. It all stems with shame because society shames people who are different. And right now, I feel like there's this, hopefully, yeah. momentum of less shame. And when there's less shame, people feel more comfortable to be who they are. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's where film and television plays a huge role. I think that's where including diversifying casting and fashion and beauty and wellness plays a huge role in offering the world one, a viewpoint into different lived experiences, trans people, queer people, differently abled people. What I think it is this too, like in the, in the 60s with the civil rights movement, I think like a lot of issues around equality got brought to the surface and the country got very charged. And I don't think that 
people didn't recognize that these were issues for a very long time. It just finally someone brought it to a head and said, hey, this isn't right and we're going to correct this. And society, some people decide to dig in on both sides. And I think what's happening now is this is becoming a louder issue, not because it has not been an issue always, but because people have finally decided to take a stand and say like, this is not okay anymore. Right. And I think that like what, what I'm trying to get out here is when you brought up the stats of people, you know, being more out or more open. It's like, maybe it's always this way, but people just feel they now have a community that will rally around them as before. Maybe they felt like if they, you know, brought these issues to light or came out or, you know, Well, I just think, I mean, nobody just think about the difference in like the last few years in, in having pronouns and bios, right? Like that was just like not a thing that was practiced. And now massive corporations have that as part of their DNA, where it's like their email signatures are inclusive of pronouns. And it's not because pronouns haven't always existed. It's just because it's a way to signal like, oh yeah, we are a place that like understands that people like to be identified in different ways and like to use different honorifics. So yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's, I think it's two part though, because I think the conflict really doesn't stem from queer people, right? Which I can speak from that experience. It stems from the smaller population, the smaller sort of like very vocal minority with a lot of power, specifically in this country, going against this evolution of humanity. And it, and it just is that. I mean, because of, you know, because of people like Laverne Cox and Hari Neff, like I could understand myself as like a trans woman. And I felt, and because Elliot Page came out so publicly, I felt that I too could step into myself publicly. Like, and, you know, we could trace that back, my trans ancestry, you know, to the Marsh P. Johnsons of the world, to ancient times, if you will, right? Like you could really keep going. And so media and storytelling and, rep and you know, representation changes the landscape and it makes people feel safer. So it doesn't, it doesn't produce more queer and trans people. It just makes people feel safer to own themselves for exactly who they are, not feel that they need to hide or conform or stifle parts of themselves to succeed in this life, right? And then that challenges when policy. you decided not to, I think this is no, fascinating, good. but when you decided to pursue acting, yeah, what was the, like how, g coming from Georgia, trying to break into Hollywood per, <laughs> per se, where do yeah. you, where do you even begin? Like, you know, because oh I gosh. think yeah. the avenues have obviously changed. Like, did you have a social presence no. falling before? No, 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 okay. no. Instagram didn't come until I was in college. Okay. And I had Facebook and the Tumblr existed, but I wasn't necessarily a Tumblr kid. And, you know, I had a MySpace and you could sort of become an influencer on MySpace. Well, I loved like MySpace. People, people were able to build these, like, you know, Jeffree Star is an example of someone who's like started on MySpace. Mine was pastel pink. I had all I had the like details. stars <laughs> raining down my MySpace. <laughs> but no, I never found success on social media until after my acting career had kind of taken off. And you know, having business-minded parents and me being an artist, my brain's always kind of been split into. And so when I was in high school and my body was just like starting to really ache and be in pain from classical ballet, I felt like I could go in two different directions and I could go the like, try to be in a ballet company route and then probably have to retire at 30 and then figure out what I, what I would do with the rest of my life and also not make a lot of money, frankly. Like that's just like the lived reality of being a ballet dancer. Or I had this other passion of acting and performing and storytelling and I was directing stuff in high school. And I was also felt like I was really good at that and had a sort of like quality about me, if you will. I had a lot of people in my life be like, oh, you should you could totally be an actor. It also became kind of my ticket out of Atlanta. 
because my grades were really bad. So because I was doing a lot of drugs in high school. <laughs> so I went to like a film acting camp in LA, New York Film Academy for a summer in high school. And it exposed me to Los Angeles. I got like a fake ID and was like going out to Teddy's and shit at, four, at like 14, 15, however old I was when I went to that camp. I made a bunch of friends, like met Nepo babies for the first time as we've come to love and know them and realized how much bigger the world was because I finally got to see kind of like behind the television screen for a second and be like, oh, whoa, like actors that I grew up watching that I like see now on the street are real people. Like I could start to put those two, like two and, you know, two and two together. I ended up going to a college in in Chicago called Columbia College, which is just like basically anyone can get in. Like there's like barely an application. It was essentially like a community arts college, but it is a four year program. And like What's great about that is like it's a space in which you can not to look Kanye West went there, dropped out, but, you know, college dropout. A lot of people have gone to Columbia College and had found great success. But for me, I went there because I didn't I just need to get out of Atlanta. And I knew that I wanted to study acting and I started there. And then while I was there, I realized like I actually really wanted to be in New York because that's just where the type of theater I thought I would be doing was. It's just like home base. And I loved New York as a kid. I loved coming here. Always wanted to live here. So going to a community college gave me an opportunity to continue being a drug addict and get really good grades so that no one had to look at my high school. When you say drug addict, was this... And, and I'm not, I mean, I was like a daily cocaine user. Okay. When you first day. got into drugs, was the drugs to suppress the feelings that you had from being bullied? You know, I don't know. I just love doing drugs. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, like the minute I sipped from like... Of my, you know, siblings' bottle of pop pop or whatever the fuck I got my hands on. Little naughty light. I was like, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Little schmear. We did a lot of beer ponging in my house. Mike's hard Um, lemonade. Mike's hard lemonade, a lot of icing. (laughs) We did a lot of (laughs) Smirnoff icing. Did you remember icing people? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we would ice people. You know, I grew up like in the South on like a lake and like in Atlanta and like in Alabama and kind of like a country kid in a lot of ways too. And I just loved the feeling of being stoned. I love the feeling of being drunk. I love the feeling of both of those things together. I loved blacking out. I loved the feeling of not feeling, right? Which is to say, I don't think it was like a conscious, like, oh, I'm doing this to like run away from my, my whatever's going on. It just gave me the safety, safest, coziest place to be. And were you still using drugs and alcohol when you started pursuing acting or at that point? Had well, become- so I got to work when I was 21. So I... And was there like an epiphany moment or you just realized... I mean, when- I, my consequences of drinking and drug use were pretty immediate. Like I was suspended from school in seventh grade for drinking at school. Like I was like very... When I say like, like I was driving drunk in high school all the time, like drinking before school. Like I was a really, really, like I was genuinely so this is like, like a first thing in the morning. Oh yeah. At times. Yeah. Or going from a party to school in high school. Like I was like a very active drinker and drug user. And then when I was a senior in high school, my grades were really bad. I didn't get any, like those consequences came, became really clear. So I went to the school in Chicago where I was just partying every day. But I, like, as I was saying, I was able to kind of transfer to a better school that I auditioned for Fordham in New York and, you know, convinced them that I was like worthy of being accepted as very small acting program. And that was my first time really, I would say like pursuing acting as a craft. 
like it was the first time I really read plays. It was like Stanislavski-based program, you know, doing Chekhov and Shakespeare and clown work and studied in Moscow as my study abroad at like Moscow Art Theater School, which is like the birthplace of Chekhov and Stanislavski and like all these like foundational acting techniques that people still use today was doing plays and like writing monologues and started writing screenplays all the while like going out every night until five or six in the morning. And then at 21, it all kind of came crashing down right around my 21st birthday. And it was clear that like I wasn't gonna be able to continue at school this way. They weren't really gonna have me. I was like failing. I was gonna take me like, it would have taken me a decade to graduate at the rate I was going. I would just drop courses like right and left. And I was promoting and like working at restaurants and promoting at clubs. And when I, but at that point I did really like still want to be an actor. I was like, I still wanna be an actor. I really wanna do like good meaningful theater. And I, I looked at the, Fiona Shaw's of the world and the Patrick Stewart's of the world and the um, Alan Cummings of the world and Patricia Clarkson's and I could just name, you know, Tilda Swinton, whatever, like Viola Davis. Like I looked at all these people who had these amazing, really interesting, cool careers and was fascinated by that and wanted that for myself. But I knew at 21 that like I was going to die well before I could have ever made it in any career if I kept because at that point I was like, it sounds like the, doing pur- the purpose kind of saved you. Like, I was, yeah. I mean, my last. Oh, you moved, okay, you got heavy. Yeah, I, well, yeah, it got heavy. It was like yeah. not just party. Like I was like drinking and using drugs alone, like most nights. Like I was, it was, it was dark. It was really bleak. And I just, I had like many versions of trying to get sober from like nineteen to twenty one. Many like lost relationships, friendships, opportunities, and. I literally woke up one morning and was done. And I just like, my cousin had just gotten out of a rehab that worked for her and it was the first of many. And I was like, I called her and I went, right. I just checked myself into rehab with my dad the next day. And what was rehab like? <sighs> it was weird. Cause you're like, I was 21 and I, I felt like I'd made the biggest mistake by making, I was like, wait, why did I do this? Like, this is terrible. Being sober sucks. Like I've, I'm like, where is my youth? Like, I had a lot of regret by making that call because I was like, shit, the jig is up. Like everyone knows. Fuck. Now I've told my family who already knew that this was, had known that this was a problem, but also knew that like you can't force an alcoholic or a drug addict into sobriety. Like you really, it's a self-diagnosed disease at the end of the day. Like you as the individual need to like recognize it within yourself and make those decisions with the help of other people. You know, a lot of people in my family suffer from similar ailments and diseases around alcohol and drugs that we had enough knowledge to that you can't force it, right? And so my parents were really scared for me, but like hopeful that I would eventually come to a place of whether it's sobriety or um, you know Cali sobriety, whatever you want to like different versions of. Uh, What's Cali sobriety? I think that's when you just smoke weed or something. I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm just saying there's a lot of different, like now it's like a health thing. So it's like a lot of different, you know, they're like, oh, I just microdose mushrooms, but I don't drink anymore. Whatever. You live, you've lived in California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you get <laughs> I know, it. I know some of those people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Me too. And I, I just, but then part of why I love New York is I got out of rehab and I kind of struck a deal with my dad to stay sober for a year. I didn't think I could be an actor sober. So I decided to start work. I started working in retail (laughs) and like, I was like, I'm going to climb up the fashion pyramid. And I was working at like Balenciaga in like two months 
and like selling like $700 sneakers in Soho. And then I was working at Dover Street Market, which is, have you ever been to Dover Street Market? Uh -uh. It's like the best store in the world. It's uh -uh. like everything from Gucci to Nike, super well curated, owned by the brand Comme des Garçons. Oh, like cool. A cool. Anyway, it's a really cool store. Yeah. Um, Wait, where is it? Maybe we'll pop oh, there's such a Murray brat Hill here. Thirtieth <laughs> and Lex, I think here. Yeah. Okay. It's an amazing Dover Street. Dover Street Market. It's yeah. incredible. They have like Prada, Gucci, the Row, Miu Miu, but then also Nike, Supreme, men and women, men and what? women, and like fluid, whatever. They have the best sneakers, the best shoes. Like it is a like hype, hype, hype. Really cool. Really good bakery, Rose Bakery really good food. There's one in LA, Tokyo. Paris is more of like an art space and then it originated in London. So I influenced. was influenced. We just went on a tangent. But you're influenced. So I was working at Dover Street Market and while I was there early sobriety, I got the like creative itch, you know, and I was like, okay, wait, like this isn't sustainable. Like I, I can't, like I was helping a lot of famous people at that. Like when I was working in those stores, I would help a lot of actors and a lot of like influencers at the time or actually help David Sedaris. And I cried in the bathroom after I helped him buy like Comme des Garçons culottes. Why did you cry? Because I like felt like I met a hero of mine. You know, it's like I've, I, I've never met him since. But I just remember that moment in my life where once Frances McDormand bought a bunch of like bought Canada goose jackets for me for her kids when I worked at a store and I was like I don't want to help Francis McDormand buy jackets I want to be in movies with Francis you know what I mean I just like which obviously I couldn't say that at the time and um, still don't never met her but I think I had this longing that was went far beyond what like a corporate retail job would have provided me it sounds like you knew your full potential and you were unsettled that you weren't i was deeply unsettled yeah. i was like i i didn't and then it became sort of a like okay well i'm sober i have this like second lease on life like fuck it so then i, I entered this phase of like fuck it i'm gonna go back to school and like i'm gonna take an insane amount of credits and i'm gonna fight to graduate in a year and not two years which they tried to sort of delay Anyway, I just I just was like I didn't I went into summer school after so after I got a year of sobriety I like went straight into summer school went back to Fordham like finished my acting degree tried to go to grad school for acting didn't get in and I set really clear goals for myself when I at this point a little over a year of sobriety and I went back to acting schools so I was like okay in five years I'm going to land a guest star on a TV show so by the time I'm twenty seven. I will have done at least one episode of television and I will have done like at least one play and I will not work for free or trade. Like I set these like really clear because I had a teacher, Kenny Leon, who taught my acting class, who's like a very successful director in film and theater, especially. And he was the one who sort of came in and he would have guests come in like Spike Lee and Denzel Washington came into our class, like people who like had built beautiful and he 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 imparted on me the knowledge that you can be an artist and have financial stability. You just have to like set boundaries and parameters for yourself. And I took that and I like, like a sponge, I was like, okay, right. If that's the case, then like I can't work for a Metro card. Like I'll work at Baz Bagels in the Lower East Side and like make some money that way while I audition. And I will like take classes with casting directors and I will just like hustle and like only take acting jobs that pay me money and like defining my self-worth that early as an artist was so key and it's 
terrifying because I saw my friends doing really cool that I went to college with doing really cool theater and like really experimental things like going to fringe festivals or like, you know, going to the Guthrie in Minnesota and doing a play there or going to Yale and Juilliard for grad school. And I didn't get into grad school. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to just put my like I, I made little index cards that I still do this today with goals. And one of them was like guest star on a TV show, get an agent, get a manager, do a play in New York. I didn't really want to do a tour or regional thing. I really wanted to do a play at like a reputable theater in New York and become SAG and become equity as an actor. I am all about a good classic basic. And I recently found this site. It has the chicest cashmere crew neck sweater you've ever seen. And it comes in all different colors. So I went on their site and I got the oatmeal. I also got the heather gray, the black, and then I threw in a green. They even have like a cobalt blue that I have my eye on. Anyway, you can't go wrong. I spent like 200 bucks and I got literally four sweaters. They're so beautiful. And the site that I went to is called Quince. I think that this is such a great place to go for luxury essentials at an affordable price. This sweater is one that you just can't go wrong with. It's something that'll be in your closet forever. You can layer it so you could do like a flannel over it. You could also do a blazer. And what I think is fun is to do like a white tee and then take the cashmere crew neck sweater over the white tee and have the white tee like popping out at the top. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. And all the fabrics are premium. And I can tell you after ordering these tops and trying them on, they are premium, premium. Quince is such a go-to place for luxury essentials at an affordable price. Get affordable luxury for everyone on your list with Quince. Go to quince.com slash skinny for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash skinny to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash skinny. You have seen it all over TikTok. It really is a star. The cosmetic case by base. Let me tell you about this cosmetic case. They thought of everything. There is like a brush holder. There's a place to put your makeup so it doesn't get all dirty. There's like every little compartment you could possibly want in a zip up situation. They come in all different colors. I personally am a fan of the black or the beige, but you can't go wrong with a pop of color. They also have color on there. This makes such a great gift. It's affordable. It's $68 and it's something that you'll have forever for your cosmetics, your skincare or your makeup. I personally use mine in the car for my skincare. I'm always running out the door. And sometimes when I take Zaza to school, I don't have time to do my full skincare routine. So I'll just put everything all organized in my base cosmetic case and I can just open it and do my spray. I do like my hyaluronic acid. I'll do my vitamin C, my sunscreen. I even have like a beauty blender in there to apply it. Everything is organized and ready to go. I have my castor oil brow situation that I can brush my brows up and I look presentable when I'm dropping her off thanks to my cosmetic case. So I would highly recommend you go on there and check this out for a gift. If you're also looking for a work tote or maybe a carry on roller, they really have you covered. So I would go on their site. I've used my own code. Right now, Base is offering our listeners 15% off your first purchase. You're going to visit basetravel.com slash skinny. Go to basetravel.com slash skinny for 15% off your first purchase. That's B-E-I-S travel.com slash skinny. 
Holidays are here. Hopefully we're getting ready to gear up and take a nice break. But if you're feeling stressed, if you're feeling sluggish, if you're having trouble sleeping with this never-ending to-do list, we have a solution for you. And that is the Just Thrive Probiotic with the stress-busting, mood-uplifting power of Just Calm. Lauren and I love Just Thrive products so much. We've had the founder on this show multiple times. They're going to come back on in the new year to talk all good things, gut health, Just Thrive Probiotics, and the Calm has been part of our daily routines for months, actually years now. And we really over the years have noticed the benefits. We don't get really sick anymore. We just feel strong. Our guts feel healthy. And this is important because you need to give these products time to work. If you're having gut issues or if things just feel a little bit off, you want to implement a good probiotic into your body and take it daily. It's like a gardener for your gut, safely eliminating bad bacteria and replenishing the good. And it actually produces antioxidants too. It can be opened and sprinkled into any food and drinks. So the whole family can use it. We give it to our children. Some of the things it's going to do and what you may notice, it's going to quickly promote a healthy response to everyday stress. It's going to encourage a steady, serene and balanced mood. It's going to drive mental clarity, focus and alertness, and even support great energy and optimal sleep. These are things that are so important for your body and your mind. So check them out. Use promo code SKINNY90 for 20% off a 90-day bottle of Just Thrive Probiotics and Just Calm at JustThriveHealth.com, code SKINNY90. We also have our old code active too. You can use code SKINNY for 15% off site-wide. So either SKINNY90 or code SKINNY for 15% off. Enjoy. You know, it's interesting to hear you say that. We read, Lauren and I both read Arnold Schwarzenegger's biography, which is like different tangent, but he was talking about when he wanted to become an actor and that he was able to kind of be selective and do the things that he really wanted to do because he was working and kind of like figuring out a way to give himself a living besides that. And he was saying that he saw a lot of his friends that were pursuing the same career, but they were like either not taking it as seriously or they were taking gigs or doing things that they didn't really want to be doing. Mm -hmm. And like one of, you know, this is obviously not a pursuit of mine acting, but he was saying, if you're going into that pursuit, like you, you need to figure a way to your point to be like financially solvent and then also be smart about the things you actually attach yourself yeah, to. Yeah, you need to be focused. Like my dad would call all those like opportunities I could have done that like didn't really have value except for instant gratification, like shiny things. Yep. And often my dad still to this day would be like, why are you getting distracted by the shiny things? Like very, I remember I heard Oprah once say on a podcast like a decade ago or whatever it was, talk show, who knows, but just this analogy of like a horse race where you're like, horses don't win races by looking at other horses. So really early on as I was like <laughs> embarking on a career in the arts, which is to say a career in myself, I learned that like comparing myself to others is fucking irrelevant because humans are so different. So even if I look exactly like somebody else, what we do with a character in the context of this story in relationship to the other actors that are hired is never going to be the same. And so once I let go of this idea that like there are people who are better than me in this way, like no one's better at being the type of actor I am than me because I'm the only person who can act in this way, right? Like in this, it's not just that there are a million other people who could do this job. There are actors who are way, you know, who are way more talented than me. Sure. But like, when you find the role that is supposed to be your role or the story that you're supposed to tell, like I'm uniquely qualified to do that. And I started owning that from like a really, really young age and like just being really not and not being afraid to fail. Right. And, 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 and having that kind of mindset and setting these like really clear, tangible goals for myself. And then within a year, you know, and we do this thing called senior showcase where when you're graduating a conservatory program, agents and managers come and they like sign you from showcase, like didn't get a single call didn't get a single message like 
crickets for me. And I was mortified for like a week. And then I was like, okay, well, fuck it. Like, how do I figure this out? And at some point in, and it's, uh, it's ears open. It's like, oppor- I know I'm, I'm, I'm a fucking bumper sticker today. Opportunity meets preparation, guys. I don't know if you heard that before. Opportunity meets preparation. I had moved into a shared house with my boyfriend, fiance at the time and a friend from college. And he had an agent. And this is less than a year after graduating college. He was reading the script for 13 Reasons Why. And he was auditioning for a role. And I was helping him with his audition. And he was like, you should try to get an audition. I think they're seeing like a wide range of people for this. And they were, they were doing like these bigger open calls. And I figured out who was casting. And I saw that the casting associate was teaching a workshop. And I signed up for the workshop. Art. And (laughs) I had pretty much no representation. I had sort of like, I got like very, very, very entry level agents who like barely picked up the phone, you know, like, okay, well, sure. And then I had a manager, but he was like working out of his apartment and like, Jersey City and I met him because his girlfriend worked at Equinox <laughs> and she and I would like hang out together and he had no other client like it was like I mean, genuinely like barrel and so I went and took this class and he put on like his managerial front like character because he hadn't really been a manager before he would hate to hear that I, I don't talk to him anymore sorry but that's because he ended up not being a great guy but anyway I and that's what I did. And I and I, I walked up to the associate after and schmoozed a little, you know, like told him I'd heard about this thing. And by way of me taking that class and my my manager at the time calling and saying like, hey, like Tommy took this class. Like I hear you're seeing a bunch of different people. And he was like, oh, yeah, we're doing like open calls, whatever. Like, you know, Tommy can come in, hear the sides. That's how I got my first audition, which was for 13 Reasons Why, <laughs> which is the show I booked. So yeah. then... Three months, four or five, six months, however long of auditioning later, I was, I graduated in May of 2015. And in June of 2016, I was on set. Wow. You know what's a, a common denominator about a lot of successful people who have come on this show? They all set very specific goals. And I'm mm. not talking about like, do a play you were like do a play in new york city where i'm getting paid right like it's like it was it was it was so detailed Mm -hmm. of what it was it wasn't just like being a play it was like a play in new york city make sure i'm getting paid make sure that it's like this way Mm -hmm. and you like wrote it out and you look at it and i think that's really a good takeaway for the audience it's like if you want to make something happen you have to get so precise of what that is like it can't just be like make money (laughs) <laughs> how and, much money and you didn't just go into acting like i'm doing anything just to take any role yeah no yeah i think i was really clear i was like i and i remember that first year pretty much all of my cards were done like i got a new i got real agents i got a real manager like people who are really when i say when i say real i mean people who are like actually in the industry not sort of like running rampant and xyz city like taking on vulnerable young actors because <laughs> there's a lot of there are a lot of like scary areas of every industry Hollywood especially so you have to be really careful when you're approaching work as a young actor and like situations that you have put my yeah you can put yourself in really weird situations yeah apart from like the occasional workshop that was really low lift or whatever in that year I just 
was like really, really, really dead set. And I, and you know what I did is I knew I wanted to go into film and television. So when I was a senior of finishing college, I was doing student films to build a reel. What is on your cards now? What are you working on that's coming oh, I up? Don't, I can't say. Okay, but what's, no, okay, what are things that have transpired that, that you're working on now? Be careful, that, Lauren that gets anyone cards. to tell her anything. I mean, I am obsessed with you. <laughs> Both of you. Okay, so what can I tell you? Directing a movie. Okay. Which I just did, starring Alexandra Daddario and Corey Fogelmanis right. and Cole amazing. Sprouse. Quickly, what's the difference between acting and directing? From like a what? No, what? no, I know that. No, uh, I, I know specifically what the difference what is. What part but, of my brain? Yeah, what? Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, it is yeah, a different I, part of my brain. It yeah, is yeah, a different oh, part for sure. Okay, but I think being a good actor and having worked as an actor professionally, although not that extensively, helped me be a, the best director possible. Yeah, because you're a practitioner of it. You understand the ins yeah. and outs. And I'm an operational person too, and I like being more of like a creative visionary, and I'm a good communicator. So for me, just like directing is being good at hiring, being a good judge of people, being a good judge of character, writing a story that needs to be told, having a clear, very, I'm a very, very, very prepared person. So I have like a hundred page plus lookbook for my department head. So by, for depart, for those of you who don't work in the industry, department heads are cinematographers, production designers, costume designers, casting, et cetera. I had very, very clear visions for all of these things and down to, you know, screen grabs, from stills from other movies as references to palette references, tonal references, actors tiered from like the dream person to like would love to explore this or need to discover this role. Here's why. Here's why we haven't seen this person before this person. We have to find the person to play this role, which is I feel really passionate about because I was sort of plucked from obscurity for a hit Netflix show that we didn't know would be a hit. Right. But a lot of us, that was our first job. Like first big job, especially, but or first job period. Directing requires a certain amount of vulnerability, but it also requires a certain amount of boundaries. So when I am directing, writing, producing, I am really stern about the boundaries I set and how I communicate with people. I try to be a cheerleader for people, which I, I kind of have in my life anyway, but especially in that situation, I really try to like affirm. My goal as a director is to always service the story and service who I'm working with. That's smart. So if you're a production designer, like I want you to be the best at what you can do as a production designer. I don't want to force you to do what I think you should do. So if I did a good job hiring, it means I believe in you and I trust your vision and I don't need to babysit you every step of the way. I just need to continue to sort of like guide you and lift you up. And that's the same with everyone that I work with. And I think as an actor, I'm like mush. I'm a terror. I, I don't even know. What, like when I have like actor brain on, like, I don't look at my phone really. I'm like not, I'm like in a completely, I'm like very vulnerable, very sensitive, not like it's sort of just, a, I allow, I allow myself to kind of go into baby brain. Are you working on anything with acting right now? Yeah, I'm, it's been interesting. I took a break from acting when I started transitioning because it was a pandemic. <laughs> um, although I did do like a weird pandemic television show because I like needed insurance. And, uh, <laughs> It is what it is. You know, I needed money. I needed insurance. Took the job. Job came in. Took the job. And as I was transitioning those first few years, I was just really, really focused during the pandemic career-wise career wise on producing, writing, like acquiring IP, investing in stories that like I really believed in. And so some of those are things that like if they come to fruition, I'll be acting in. And you're also launched your podcast. And I launched my podcast my first time. And Curran, which has been sort of like a startup 
to platform other queer artists, right? Because at the end of the day, like that's, as we've talked about, more diverse groupings of LGBTQ people in the ether, like more understanding, more compassion, more empathy, right? Can be fostered from that. Yeah, I mean, as an actor, I'm just starting to like pursue new acting opportunities. Well, I'm really excited to watch everything that you're doing. I think that you are a very multifaceted person and you've got a lot of layers and I think your podcast is going to crush it. Podcast was on my index card. It was uh, probably so specific. was on my index card. Yeah, I really wanted to have like a talk show format where I got to like tell have specific stories be told to me by people, which is what my podcast is. Everyone should go on Amazon and buy some index cards. (laughs) <laughs> where I'm going to go buy some. Where can everyone find you? Sure. Find what you're working on. Pimp yourself out. Pimp me out. Hi, at Tommy.Dorfman. I think on every social platform I'm on. So primarily Instagram, but I guess I'm also on threads and TikTok or clubcurrent.com. And that's where you can find written work. I have a book coming out with HarperCollins next fall. My movie, I Wish You All the Best, is coming out at the end of next year. So you can get information about all these things. And my podcast is streaming everywhere. Love it. Spotify, Apple, Amazon. It's called My First Time. Patrick Stewart is on this week's episode. Dylan Mulvaney was last week's episode. Julia Fox is coming up. I've got really great people. Her book. I just finished it. Oh, I know. Is she coming on? I want her to come on. Her book was. So Julia and I have been friends since I was 21. I was literally going to ask you the way that you talked about your experience in New York paralleled hers I was gonna ask you if you guys were friends yeah because a lot of the things you talked about were things that she themes in her book yeah and I photographed her for paper magazine with Pete Davidson I made them Barbie and Ken in 2019 before Uncut Gems came out that's so cool cool yeah and I remember them being like oh I don't know maybe maybe not I was like I'm telling you Julia Fox is it like she's the one and she's a vibe they they agreed to do it and I was shooting Pete and I sort of infamously removed his penis and made him a Ken doll on the cover of this magazine. And How big did you have to crop to remove his penis? <laughs> we had him in really tight underwear. <laughs> um, no, you'll say, if you go, you can Google it. Like we just, we took the body of a Ken doll and sort of like superimposed it and like put these pieces together in post. Maybe you can but shoot she our plays next like podcast art and you can take Michael's dick off. Ah, that would be really funny. That would be a plot twist. You want to be, be dickless? Yes. <laughs> that's thank actually you. the transmission, right? Like, that's why I'm here. <laughs> thank, yeah. you, Tommy, thank you, Tommy. Oh, my gosh. Thank, thank you so you. much. Two things before you go. You can watch us now on YouTube. So you can go on YouTube, search The Skinny Confidential, and watch our entire episodes on your computer or TV. Also, you should know, Michael and I are doing a him and her newsletter. So... Basically, it's a him and her tip of the day, five days a week. And the tips are very specific, as you can imagine. And then we also have a monthly favorites. So basically, we collect all our monthly favorites, everything we've bought and used and tried and put it in one monthly newsletter for you. To sign up for that, go to shopskinnyconfidential.com and sign up for the newsletter. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.